Hello, everybody, and welcome to Care Talk. My name is Laura Packard, and I am the founder of Healthcare Voices, as well as the executive director of Healthcare Voter. And also, I'm a cancer survivor that uh, survived my encounter with the American healthcare system. So uh, I am asking questions and talking from that perspective with our special guests that are here to answer your questions. So uh, please be sure to call or uh, text in your questions and we will answer them in a future episode. So let's get started. Uh, our first question is from Patricia. That um, They want to know why Medicare doesn't cover routine lab work for an annual or biannual physical. Uh, Diane, can you talk about that and what to do if uh, Medicare doesn't cover what you need? Absolutely. So when Medicare uh, was created, it was really intended for those kinds of acute episodes that people had and didn't cover any preventive care services or annual physicals or any of the routine stuff that we all need to keep us healthy. Um, since then, um, but only relatively recently, uh, Congress recognized the need for Medicare to cover preventive services, and now it does thankfully cover a whole host of preventive care services, as does the Affordable Care Act uh, for people in the state health insurance exchanges, but it still doesn't cover routine physicals. And that's just one of the challenges with Medicare is that you have to pay for those routine physicals on your own. It covers an annual wellness visit, but that's somewhat different from a physical. Um, but you should talk to your doctor to see um, what different types of screenings are actually paid for by Medicare during your annual wellness visit. And then, um, as Laura was saying, if you have a lab test um, and um, Medicare denies it, you can appeal um, if the test ends up showing that you have a condition in particular, it's likely or more likely that Medicare will pay. And the good news is that it, appealing can be really easy. All you do is you take the denial from Medicare and you write on it. It's as simple as that. You know, I would like you to review this denial. Uh, I think my the service was medically justified. If you can get a letter from your doctor confirming why it was medically reasonable and necessary, that will help. But again, if it's a routine physical and it's not um, a lab test for a condition that you're suffering from, it's less likely that Medicare. Thank you. Uh, that's Diane Archer from Just Care and Social Security Works. Uh, next, I want to talk about uh, the Supreme Court ruling that just came out uh, on abortion and what that means for healthcare. We have a whole episode on this topic from a few weeks ago, but uh, to answer some of the questions that people are asking, uh, what are the essential health benefits of the Affordable Care Act in terms of reproduction, reproductive coverage, and how does the Supreme Court ruling uh, affect our health insurance? Uh, Zoid Fitch from Health Sherpa. Yeah, thank you. Um, so this is kind of a, a weird thing in that it's it's sort of good news, but not. Um, the This ruling doesn't really affect anything about the Affordable Care Act in terms of what is covered. And 
But unfortunately, that is because the Affordable Care Act specifically um, doesn't mandate any sort of coverage for abortion services. So there are, for those who are unfamiliar, there are 10 essential health benefits that um, every qualified health plan has to cover um, in order to be a qualified health plan under the Affordable Care Act. Um, and each state kind of sets within those 10 essential health benefits exactly what those look like. Um, and one of those is pregnancy, maternity, and newborn care. However, there is an explicit exclusion uh, for abortion services. This is due to something called the Hyde Amendment, um, which is not contrary to what it may seem like. It's not a permanent part of, you know, it's not like a permanent law. However, it is basically a part of the budget that is continually um, put into the budget every year. Um, and it basically prevents any sort of federal dollars from going to cover abortion services. Um, so because of that, and because of the tax credit that covers um, a portion of the premium um, that covers essential health benefits under plans in the ACA, um, they can't mandate any sort of coverage of abortion services. So it really comes down to the states and what um, they have insurance companies do. Um, in some states, most private insurance companies have some sort of um, a coverage for abortion, um, usually in specific circumstances. However, there are states where um, insurance companies are actually prevented from covering abortion, either in except for particular circumstances or in some cases just covering it at all. Um, so it's one of those things where, you know, we don't, you know, fortunately, we don't really need to look too closely at the ACA because of this. But unfortunately, it's because the ACA doesn't really help us in this case either. It really goes down to the specific laws in your state. Um, I think before the show started, we were discussing a website that you can go to if you are in need of abortion services. Um, it's called INeedAnA.com. Um, and you can go there and just put in some basic information about yourself, just age, zip code, and the weeks since your last, how many weeks it's been since your last period. And you can um, find help um, looking for what your options are for abortion services. Um, and so if you are in a state where either it is now illegal because of this or it is uncertain, I highly recommend going there. Um, and um, I believe there are also some some websites we can point you to that are kind of mapping the laws as they um, develop because of this. And I think we can we can link to those as well on our website. Mm -hmm. And this is difficult because things are so rapidly changing. So information we gave you right now could change later. But at least for now, you can go to INeedNA.com and put in your details and uh, make sure if, if this needs to be confidential that you are using a private browser uh, on your computer or phone that uh, this information is not saved. I believe this website doesn't save anything. But just in case, uh, keep in mind your own personal privacy needs as you are needing these services. Uh, our next question is from Jim. Uh, my Medicare premium will be $204.10 in July for Part B. It's a premium surcharge because I waited too long to enroll. Ten years ago when I signed up for A, I had my wife's insurance in the VA, so I didn't need B, and I wasn't warned about this penalty then. My wife lost her job in 2021, so now we're paying a huge stupid penalty surcharge premium that will clean out my Social Security check in July. Uh, I've sought help from Oregon politicians, but uh, they have not been able to help so far. Uh, so, Diane, what's going on here and what can they do? 
Okay, this is an important issue, Jim. I'm glad you're raising it. Uh, Medicare has always penalized people who don't sign up for Medicare Part B um, as soon as they um, are required to. And there are about 750,000 people who don't understand what that means. And that's because the explanation is so, so confusing. Um, but I'm not going to go into it now, other than to say that when you first become eligible for Medicare, you should call Social Security. You shouldn't trust uh, your employer's HR department or anyone else with whether or not you need to sign up for Part B. You should assume that you need to sign up for it because often um, people are mistaken and they think because they have other insurance that they don't. Now, to your point, you have other coverage. You had coverage through your wife and you had coverage through the VA. So why should you have to sign up for Medicare when you have this other coverage? And that's a really important question. I mean, it's, it's money that you can keep in your pocket. So, and you don't need the Medicare Part B coverage because you have it elsewhere. So, so long as your wife was providing you with your coverage, um, Medicare wasn't penalizing you. But then you mentioned that in 2021, she lost that coverage. So as I understand your situation, uh, you would be delaying enrolling in Part B for one year since it's now 2022. And it has to be a delay of at least 12 months, in which case Medicare does penalize you uh, 10% for every full year that you delay enrollment. And uh, this has been an issue for a long time. Uh, it, sh it cost should not be a barrier to care with Medicare. And I think I applaud you for calling uh, your um, local representatives, your state representatives. I would continue to do so. I think it's really important that your senators and your congressperson know that you're in this situation and you shouldn't be because you've been getting the health care coverage you need and you shouldn't be penalized for saving some money that you didn't need to spend in order to um, enroll in Medicare a little later. Absolutely. And also, uh, there are uh, elections happening this November. I'm not sure who's representing you if um, there are options, but certainly you should reach out to every candidate that is trying to represent you and tell them your story, make sure they understand and that uh, you need help. So uh, make sure everybody, every candidate involved is aware and uh, is able to do something for you going forward. Uh, our next question uh, to Zoid, uh, can you get health insurance through the Affordable Care Act now? And uh, if you can't, what are your best options or when can you get ACA insurance? Yeah, so we are currently in the special enrollment period. So um, there are free, uh, quite a few circumstances in which you may be able to get health insurance through the ACA. Um, if you have recently lost health insurance coverage, such as through an employer, uh, through Medicaid, um, if you moved and so, you know, you are, have access to different plans or your plan no longer covers the area that you live in, um, if you are getting married and you had coverage prior to getting married or your partner did, um, and now you both need new coverage. Um, these are all different reasons why you would be eligible for the Affordable Care Act insurance or insurance that you would find on the marketplace. Um, 
there's also a couple others. So there is, um, there's also a special enrollment period for folks who have income below 150% of the federal poverty line, which I don't have that pulled up right in front of me, um, but we can um, post those uh, numbers on our website, I believe, and we have talked about them in previous episodes. Um, but if you, ha- if you are a lower income person, you may be eligible to enroll um, any month during the special enrollment period. Um, and then as for if you, if there's also a full list of all of these different qualifying, um, life events that you can find on healthcare.gov, you can also look on our website, healthsherpa.com, um, for assistance. And then if none of these end up applying to you, um, there are not a lot of options in terms of getting health insurance. However, you should still look into to see if you're eligible for Medicaid in your state. Again, if you go to healthcare.gov or you go to healthsherpa.com, we will also screen um, to see if you might be eligible for Medicaid based on your income um, as well as certain aspects of your situation. Um, there are also um, low-cost sliding scale clinics that are available year-round. Um, I caution against looking for insurance outside of the ACA. Um, these are typically short-term insurance plans, and they might sound great, um, but as soon as you look at the fine print, you see that there's a lot of exclusions, and so they often end up costing you a lot more money um, than you get out of them. Um, and then Open enrollment will be starting on November 1st, as it does most years. Um, in some states, it may start earlier. We haven't seen any states announce an earlier start date for this year, but that does sometimes happen. Um, and then we're not entirely sure when it will end this year. Last year, um, it ended January 15th, whereas prior years, it had ended December 15th. Um, we are hopeful that it will be extended again to January 15th for this year, but um, we haven't heard yet, um, but we will certainly um, be making an announcement when we do here. Thank you. And also something we've talked about in past episodes is that many people are on Medicaid now uh, due to the pandemic. And uh, at some point in the next few months, uh, state Medicaid offices are going to be going back through their Medicaid roles, and they may be uh, dropping people from coverage if they no longer qualify. So we don't know exactly when that's going to happen. It's called Medicaid redetermination. Uh, Just that's what that process is. It's probably going to happen sometime this year. But if that happens to you, uh, losing your health insurance is a qualifying event for being able to sign up uh, for new policy through healthcare.gov. Yes, absolutely. And with that, uh, I'm pleased to welcome our special guest, Adam Hoyer of Protect Our Care, who's going to be talking about uh, an impending threat to uh, insurance through the Affordable Care Act this fall and how your health insurance rates may be going up if Congress doesn't do something about it. So welcome, Adam. Hey, thanks, Laura. appreciate it. Um, Really good to see you again. Sorry that I have to talk about this topic, um, but I'm glad that we are finally starting to talk about this. Um, And as Laura alluded to, um, we're going to be talking about what's called the Advanced Premium Tax Credits, uh, or APTCs, or Obamacare subsidies. And which, listen, when you take a topic as exciting as insurance premiums, and then you combine it with the always sexy topic of tax credits, you would think that this thing would sell itself, um, but somehow... This particular provision has managed to kind of fly under the radar for uh, a little while, and that has caused some problems, um, which I will get to in a minute. Um, But in terms of of messaging and communicating uh, and and understanding what we're talking about, the important thing to know uh, is that there is currently a policy in place 
that makes insurance premiums uh, much more affordable for a ton of people. Uh, and that provision is about to go away at the end of this year unless Congress does something about it uh, and soon. So I'll take you through um, sort of how we got here, what the situation is currently, um, and maybe most importantly, what we can all do about it. Because this is one of those rare situations where it's a very impactful policy that is still kind of in the balance and that like we can still do something about it uh, and, so that Congress knows that they need to act and act soon. So let's go back in time to early last year, which I, I know not a lot of people want to go back to early last year, um, but the American Rescue Plan, um, which was a big sweeping piece of legislation that passed in March of 2021 to help ease some of the catastrophic effects of the pandemic, um, both health impacts and economic impacts. Um, that package did a lot of great things for folks uh, who were hurting a lot in a lot of different ways. And among the most impactful things that it did was it offered significant relief on a lot of people's health insurance premiums through uh, tax credits. Um, and it even eliminated premiums for Americans earning up to 150% of the federal poverty level, which is roughly $20,000 a year for a single person, uh, $41,000 a year for a family of four. Um, so anyone who buys their coverage uh, on the marketplace and for those receiving unemployment insurance uh, due to the pandemic, uh, it eliminated premiums for those folks. And it also ensured that enrollees have the option to purchase health care for less than 8.5% of their overall income. So for context, previously, families earning uh, just above 400% of the federal poverty level um, spent an average of 15% of their incomes on health insurance. So ensuring that they would not have to spend more than 8.5% on their income was a big part of this legislation as well. So those are really significant measures to reduce premiums. And as a result, we saw record enrollments um, this past um Open enrollment period. I'm sorry, my uh, my laptop just opened um, my, my Slack as I'm trying to get to some numbers. So forgive me while I read off some of the numbers, uh, but I want to make sure I get these right because uh, this last open enrollment period, 14 and a half million people signed up for health coverage uh, through an ACA marketplace in 2021. That is the highest number of Americans ever to enroll in Obamacare. And it is in large part because of these subsidies uh, that were making them even more affordable than they already were. So now the premium savings under the American Rescue Plan that I mentioned, they're currently benefiting millions of Americans um, with families currently saving an average of $2,400 a year on their health insurance. And that in itself is obviously really great news uh, and was really sorely needed at a time when we were battling a pandemic and we're battling higher prices. Um, but wait, there's more. It gets better. It also has some really important um, outcomes in terms of the specific types of people that were helped by these tax credits. Currently, 65% um, of rural Americans can access $0 premium health coverage, pay nothing for their, their premiums. And more than 76% uh, of rural Americans are able to find a plan for less than $50 a month. Um, and, and that coverage gap uh, between rural and urban America was getting very problematic, and this helped a lot. Also, the premium savings have made more than 65% of uninsured black adults eligible for those same $0 premium plans and 75% eligible for the plans um, less than $50 a month. It's a similar story for Hispanic and Latino adults. 68% are eligible for the $0 premiums and nearly 80% can access plans for less than $50 a month. As I said, it helps just the people that, it, uh, that needed the most help uh, during the pandemic. And unsurprisingly, 
it's a really, really popular policy. Um, we at Protect Our Care have done some polling on the Obamacare subsidies, and others have as well. 75% of Americans support it, and when you break it down, people from pretty much every walk of life, every political ideology and background thinks it's a good idea. Um, 87% of Democrats, 72% of independents, 63% of Republicans all think that it's a good idea to cut premium costs by up to $2,400 a year. Go figure. Um, however, despite that popularity, despite it doing exactly what it was supposed to do, and despite millions of Americans benefiting from this really great plan to make insurance more affordable, the expanded tax credits that power those savings are due to end this year because it was a temporary fix during the pandemic. Uh, and if they do expire, as it was written into law, 2023 premiums for Americans who buy insurance on their own um, are going to be driven up significantly. Um, and of course, uh, as Lloyd just mentioned, open enrollment for 2023 uh, begins on November 1st of this year. Um, and for those of you uh, who uh, have a calendar or are aware of this, that's a week before Election Day, uh, which is a thing that will motivate some members of Congress. Um, but if Congress does not act, news of those premiums skyrocketing uh, will be front and center just before Americans go to vote. So if there weren't instead of enough just to do the right thing, there's a thing that members of Congress care about. And I want to go through just how catastrophic this would be if Congress fails to act and act sooner. And again, I'll get to what they need to do and when they need to do it in a second. But if, if these tax credits expire, more than 3 million people will become uninsured. Um, and that'll increase the number of uninsured Americans by 11%. Premiums, as I mentioned, are going to go way up. Insurers are already pursuing double-digit premium increases. Uh, and so nearly 9 million Americans um, that get... Marketplace coverage will retain it, but be forced to pay significantly higher rates. And those geographic and racial disparities that I mentioned were starting to close because of this. Americans living in rural areas like West Virginia, they're going to suffer disproportionately uh, with premiums already um, an average of 10% higher than in urban areas. That's going to get worse. So that's how we got here. And that's what we're facing. And um, many Democrats in Congress are well aware that this premium hike is coming. They were a little late to the party, but most are now sounding the alarm bells uh, behind uh, closed doors and are working to pass legislation to extend those premium tax credits in the future. There, there was once an effort to make them permanent. Um, that's a little bit expensive right now, and, we'll, and I'll get to that in a second as well. But the plan being currently considered, and again, this is all in flux, this is all an ongoing negotiation, uh, but the plan currently being discussed would keep um, these tax subsidies uh, in place for at least another few years. Um, so postponing the, the, the premium hikes for a few more years uh, as we continue to climb out of this pandemic. And interestingly, um, the members of Congress who are pushing this the hardest um, uh, within the walls of, of Congress are, you know, they're not your lefty, super progressive Medicare for all Democrats. It's the Democrats who are facing tough elections this year uh, because they know that their voters are going to find out about these premium hikes right before Election Day. So in all of this, um, one person is especially critical toward making sure this gets done, uh, and it will probably not surprise you to learn that that person is Senator Joe Manchin from West Virginia. Uh, he, of course, has long been the key to passing a reconciliation bill in the Senate, which, um, as you may know, only requires 50 votes um, as opposed to the normal 60 votes that are required to advance legislation in the Senate um, under the filibuster rules. For his part, um, Senator Manchin, he has said some encouraging things at times, but also some discouraging things at times uh, when it comes to extending the premium tax credits in particular. Most recently, he said 
that he likes the idea of extending um, the APTCs, but he also said that it needs to be means tested, meaning he, he wants to make sure that it is not a benefit that rich people needlessly get, which, okay, that, that is a reasonable desire. Um, but here's the thing. It is already inherently means tested because the amount of savings you receive on your premiums is directly tied to your income level. So problem solved, uh, although maybe a little concerning uh, that he did not realize this already um, about a provision he should be considering. Regardless, uh, Manchin's other concern uh, with passing a reconciliation package more broadly is that he wants it to do something that will pay down the deficit um, in this country. Uh, and of course, extending the tax credits will cost us money. So to address that, Democrats are also considering some legislation that would allow the government to negotiate drug prices that it pays to pharmaceutical companies for certain drugs. Um, and those drug reforms are projected to save well over $100 billion over a decade, while the tax credit extension for, through 2025 would cost about $74 billion. So um, the argument is that the savings from the drugs uh, could more than pay for the extension of the premium tax credits for uh, three more years. Anyway, that's sort of where we are now. Uh, Democrats are negotiating a reconciliation package that may or may not be able to pass the Senate and that would, may or may not include an extension of those sorely needed premium tax credits. So that brings us to what can be done about it. Uh, and for me, uh, I think the three most important things are, one, spreading the word that this potentially, potentially disastrous premium hike is coming if Congress does not act soon. We just had a day of action last week um, at Protector Care to do just that. I would imagine we'll probably organize another day of action or two uh, because we cannot sound the alarm bells enough on this. Two, um, generating calls and emails in the members of Congress's office. Pick up the phone yourself, send an email yourself to your member of Congress, even if they're not uh, Joe Manchin, uh, because it's not just him that needs to hear from his constituent. It's Kirsten Sinema. Uh, it's, it's frankly everyone who's up for our election this year for the reasons we already talked about. Um, because if, if those members um, are feeling the heat from their constituents back home and realize this could be a potential issue for them in their election, they're that much more likely to go to Democratic leadership and say, like, I'm getting a lot of blowback back home. Um, I'm really worried about my own reelection. Um, and if uh, Senator Schumer uh, hears enough about that, and, and Speaker Pelosi hears enough about that, it's much more likely they'll fight harder to make sure that they stay in the reconciliation package. And the third thing to do is to share stories of those who would be affected, including yourself. If you um, are saving money on your premiums uh, because of these tax credits, share your story on social media uh, in, a, in a letter to the editor. Uh, share your story with your member of Congress, because there are a lot of them. I mean, we, have, we, we mentioned there are millions of stories like this. Um, and, and, you know, to bring it to West Virginia, a 50-year-old West Virginian earning $25,000 a year will see a monthly premium hike of $93 next year. That's a 344% increase. Um, and uh, the, keeping with the theme of West Virginia, a single parent earning $50,000 a year, premium hike of $164 next year. So we see a lot of stories like this, and we're trying to do a lot of events that we, as many events as we can, um, with elected officials who are already on board with this and some of those storytellers to share their experience and, and what they're afraid of will happen next year if Congress does not act. Because we've got about a two to three week window now um, where we need to make sure that this gets in. And, and as I've said, uh, it seems to be just about a 50-50 proposition at this point. So um, I'm going to stop there, Laura, unless there are other questions or things that you think um, 
it makes sense to address. Thank you, Adam. I do have a question for you. So con- Congress needs to do something. When is the last possible time they can do something to fix this this year? Like what's, what's the deadline? Yeah. So it's a good question. Um, it's, there's kind of a, a real answer and a not so real answer. So something has to be done um, before, uh, here's the real, the real answer is it has to be done before they leave for August recess. So sometime in July, um, they need to get this thing passed because once members of Congress leave, um, that's the it for the legislative session. And I, I believe cannot pass the reconciliation package beyond, um, uh, beyond the August recess. So it has to happen before August and odds are they'll try to pass something even closer to mid-July if they can. Okay, so contact your representatives and do it now because the deadline is end of July. So thanks uh, for listening to Care Talk, everyone. Uh, And please keep calling and texting in your questions. We will answer them in future episodes. Uh, Next week is 4th of July. So no Care Talk next week, but we will be back in two weeks. Uh, Thank you for listening.